If you have your Bibles with you today, please open to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15. I'm going to look at two small sections of this chapter. Mark, chapter 15, starting with verse 6, and reading through verse 15, and then reading verses 33 through 39. Again, Mark 15, starting in verse 6. And hear now the written word of the living God. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in their insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him released for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him! So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Look now at verses 33 through 39. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lava sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed. His last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. Pray with me, please. Our God and Heavenly Father, this is your word. It is true in all that it says. And teaches. Father, we are thankful for it. And as we come to it this morning, Father, we pray your blessings upon the reading, the hearing, and the understanding of it. Father, open our hearts and minds that we might receive it with gladness and joy. Change us where we need to be changed. And if there's one here who has never trusted Christ for salvation, we pray that that one, Lord, would come to know you even today. And for believers, may we worship you through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Do you all remember the weather the first week of this year? It was that one week of winter that we actually had winter. Do you remember that? It was the one week that it actually snowed. Now, if I remember correctly, um, you guys uh, down, who lived down here, you were supposed to get a lot of snow. And maybe you anticipated that, some of the kids, but you didn't get as much as you thought. Well, up at the lake where, where I live now, at, in the Lake Norman area, we got five inches of snow. And we were 
completely locked in because, you know, in the South, we have no idea how to deal with this stuff called snow, right? But I remember it snowed on a Friday, and that snow lasted Friday, Saturday, Sunday, um, uh, Monday, and even into Tuesday. And on Tuesday of the next week, it was still winter. There was still snow everywhere on the ground. But the next day, Wednesday, things started to warm up outside. And it stopped feeling like winter, and it began to feel like fall. Things were starting to to warm up. You didn't have to wear the big overcoat anymore. You had to wear a coat, but not the big winter coat. It felt like fall. What was even more amazing was that the next day on Thursday, the temperatures kept rising. And you know what it felt like? Spring. You could go put a pair of shorts on, a t-shirt on. You You could go outside. No need for any jacket anymore. But then the next day, Friday, it warmed up even more up in Huntersville. And it felt like summer. And I couldn't believe it. I said, how is this possible? Just a few days ago, it felt like winter. There was snow everywhere. And now it feels like summer. Wow, what a change, right, in just a week's time. Someone put it on Facebook. Only in North Carolina... (laughs) Can you have winter, fall, spring, and summer in the same week? (laughs) Only in North Carolina can you have that much change in a week's time. Well, beloved, I tell you this this story about change in a week's time because that is exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ experiences the week of his death. But in Jesus' case, it has absolutely nothing to do with the weather. And it has everything to do with how people treat him and react to him. And it completely changes in one week's time. You see, unlike the weather in January that started out bad weather and ended in good weather, the Bible says to us that people started out treating Jesus very good on that Palm Sunday. But over the course of just a few days, things ended very, very badly, terribly for the Lord Jesus Christ. It ended in his death. Yes, it's truly amazing to see how much change can take place in just one week's time. Beloved, we've heard from four different parts of the Gospels this morning. We read from John, we read from Matthew, we read two passages from the book of Mark. And I want you to see this change during a week's time. I want you to see how things go from good to bad, from bad to worse, and from worse to absolutely terrible. And to do that today, we're going to look at four people or or points from the Scriptures. And to do that, we're going to use the letter P today, the four P's for the outline of your sermon today. We're going to look at palms. Peter, Pilate, and penalty. Palms, Peter, Pilate, and penalty. And let's see this change during a week's time. First of all, the palms. Wasn't that a a wonderful reminder from our children this morning about what happened on that Palm Sunday? It was such a beautiful picture of 
what the people did on that Palm Sunday. It was the Sunday before Jesus died on the cross, the events of John chapter 12. But let's remember the context of what happened right before that in John chapter 11, because that's going to help us understand John chapter 12. You see, in John chapter 11, the Bible talks about a man named Lazarus. He was the friend of Jesus. He, he was the sister of Mary and Martha. And the Bible says that Lazarus got sick, and before Jesus got to him, it says that he died. So over in Bethany, there were people that were weeping and mourning for, for Lazarus. In fact, when Jesus got there, the Bible says that he had compassion on Mary and Martha, and he embraced them. In that shortest verse in the New Testament, what did he do? Jesus wept with Mary and Martha. But the amazing thing was that Jesus, having had compassion on that crowd, even as a man, he walked over to that tomb, and what did he say? Lazarus come forth, and a dead man became alive. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine being there that day when that happened? You see a dead man who had been in that grave for four days walk out of that tomb. Can you imagine the amazement and the excitement that might be in your heart when you saw that? I dare say if you saw that, what would you want to do? You'd want to tell somebody, wouldn't you? You couldn't keep that news to yourself. Well, that's exactly what happened. You see, these folks in Bethany who saw the resurrection of Lazarus, they began to head over to Jerusalem. And when they headed to Jerusalem, there was a buzz in the air. There was something on their heart, something on their mind. They had to tell people. And John chapter 12 says that these folks got to Jerusalem and they began to spread the word about Jesus. But you see, there was something else already going on in Jerusalem. It was just a few days before Passover. And all of these folks had, had gathered in Jerusalem. So you really got two groups. You've got this group from, from Bethany who's excited about what Jesus did with Lazarus coming into Jerusalem. And you have all these people there in Jerusalem awaiting the Passover. So all the words and, and the buzz, it starts going from person to person. And there was momentum that was building about Jesus. And when all of these folks, when they found out that Jesus was getting ready to come from Bethany, and when they found out that he was, he was coming, even though he was under threat of the chief priests and the Pharisees, they lined up the streets. They lined up the streets, and they got out their palm branches, and they said, he's on his way. And then finally, the Lord Jesus shows up. He shows up riding on that donkey, and they got these palm branches out, and they began to wave them. They began to wave them because it was a token of rejoicing. You see, when we read the Old Testament, we find out that the waving of palm branches, it's an expression of great joy, of anticipation for the people of God. So get the context. They just learned what he did with Lazarus, and they're saying, he's coming here. What's he going to do for us? And that joy, that anticipation was on their hearts. They thought their future was high and they were joyful to see Jesus. And with that joy and anticipation in their hearts, they said this word, Hosanna. Hosanna, which literally means, Lord, save us and save us now. Think about this, the Passover reminded them of their heritage, about a time where God had once saved them. 
from the Egyptians. And now Jesus was coming. So now they wanted salvation. And they probably, in their context, they wanted salvation from the Romans. They might have wanted a war to start. But when they saw Jesus come in, he wasn't riding on a horse. He was riding on a donkey. You see, the horse was an animal of war. It, it said, I'm getting ready to charge into battle. But Jesus wasn't on that horse. He was on a donkey. A donkey pointed to peace, to meekness. And certainly in Christ, in his first advent, he came as the king. But he came as a meek, as a gentle king, as the prince of peace. But all in all, we could say that on Palm Sunday, that was a good day. That was a good day. It was a day of excitement, of anticipation. It was a day of praise as the people waved their palm branches as Jesus rode into Jerusalem. But as we know, that's how the week started. And it wasn't going to end that way. We know that things change quickly, even in a week's time. For as we move now from palms to Peter, we see how things go from very good to very bad. Let's look at that second P now. Peter. As we read and study the scriptures about Peter, we find that he was a good friend of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was in that inner circle, wasn't he, with James and John, with the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter walked and talked and learned for Jesus for three years. He was a fisherman, but he left his nets to follow Christ. And as we look what the Bible says about Peter, we see that he has many highs and many lows, many good times and many bad times, doesn't he? You know, there was a great high in John chapter 6. Do you remember that? Jesus had just fed the people two fish and the five loaves. But after Jesus taught them about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, the Bible says many of his followers, they walked away from him. And Jesus looked at the 12 and said, are you going to go away too? And Peter stepped up, didn't he? He said, Jesus, where are we going to go? You're the one that has the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the son of God. But then we see Peter... On the Mount of Transfiguration, he has that bad moment. He, he, he wanted to build an altar, not just for Jesus, but for Moses and Elijah, and God had to correct him. So we see his low moment. We see a good moment with Peter that he walked on the water to Jesus. He believed he had faith. But we see his bad moment when he took his eyes off of Jesus and put it on the, the wind and the waves, and he fell into that water, didn't he? We see Peter, a good moment in Acts chapter 4, his boldness, his preaching in Jerusalem. We see Peter in his bad moments, Galatians chapter 2, when he committed that sin of hypocrisy. He said, I'm only going to eat with the Gentiles if the Jews aren't watching, but when they come, I'm going to leave. So you see Peter fluctuate from his, his great moments to his bad moments. Do you know when we zoom in and examine the Passion Week of Christ and Peter, we find the same thing. Look at this with me. You see, during this last week of Jesus' life, he had a lot of high moments. Do you remember when Jesus was washing their feet? And he said, Jesus, I want you to wash my hands and, and my head just so I can have more of you. 
He shows his love for Christ. He shows his devotion for Christ. He says, Jesus, I'm going to lay down my life for you. I don't care what happens. I'm going to lay down my life for you. And Jesus, I love you so much, I'm going to defend you. There in the garden when they went to arrest Jesus, Peter loved Jesus so much, he took that sword and cut off the ear of the high priest's servant. He was showing his devotion. But little did Peter know that the rubber was getting ready to hit the road. Because we know what happened. Jesus was betrayed by Judas. He was arrested in the garden. And he was abandoned by his disciples. And Peter found himself sitting in a courtyard. And as we heard the scriptures this morning, he was challenged three times. The first two by a servant girl. A girl comes up to him and says, you were with Jesus. Peter immediately denied it. No, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know that man. Another girl comes up to him and says, yes, I know you. You you were with him. He says, no. I even swore an oath. No, I'd completely deny that. A few moments later, the bystanders who were, who were there around, they're talking to each other, and they say, yeah, yes, you, you're one of his disciples. And the Bible says he got so upset, he cursed. He said, I deny that. I do not know that man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter knew what he did. He had denied Christ three times and it crushed him. And the Bible says he went out and he wept bitterly. Beloved, think about this from the Lord Jesus Christ's perspective. Was he God? Yes, but he was also a man. And he had affections just like you and I have. Think about what that must have been like, that his best friend, his most loyal companion, he let him down in a time where he needed him the most. Peter was supposed to be his friend. He promised him he would be. He said, Jesus, I'm going to stand up for you, but Peter let him down. You see, things were changing. Things were changing in just one week. For as we moved from palms to Peter, we see things go from good to bad, but it doesn't stay there. Because as we move from Peter to Pilate, things go from bad to worse. Let's look at what the scripture says about Pilate. You know, the Bible teaches us that Pilate was the governor of the land. And as the governor, he was to be the one to act lawfully, judiciously, and fairly for all the people. And we read the scriptures, we see when he examined the Lord Jesus Christ, the first reasoning that he had in his heart and his mind was, I find no fault in this man. But the people, the Bible says, were urgent. So Pilate decided, you know what, I'm going to send him over to Herod. I'm going to make this Herod's problem. Get him on out the door. So Jesus went before Herod. But maybe to Pilate's surprise, Jesus comes back because why? Herod found no guilt in him. So he sent him back to Pilate. 
And Pilate, again, right then, he makes the statement, this man has done nothing, nothing deserving of death. Pilate's wife even told him, Pilate, have nothing to do with this man. I have been tormented even today in a dream because of this man. Don't you do it, Pilate. Have nothing to do with this man. So it's clear, beloved, Pilate had the evidence. He knew he had done nothing wrong. It's clear Pilate had the counsel. He had heard from Herod. He'd even heard from his wife. But what Pilate didn't have was a commitment to do that which was right. For when he asked the crowds, again, what evil has he done? All he heard was crucify him, crucify him. And here's what the Bible says, and get this part. It says that Pilate wishing to please the crowd. Did you get that? Pilate wishing to please the crowd, he delivered Jesus to be crucified. The pressure got to him, didn't it? Pilate was supposed to be fair, judicious, lawful. But he wasn't on that day. The crowd persuaded him. The pressure got to him, and he tried to convince himself that he was doing nothing wrong when he went over and he washed those hands, those guilty, stained hands, and tried to say, you know what, it's not on me. And he sent Jesus to be crucified. And because of that, things continued to change. Things had already gone from good to bad, and from bad to to worse. But again, it didn't stop there. Because as we move from pilot to penalty, we we see things go from worse to absolutely terrible. Though it was clear that Jesus had done nothing wrong, Pilate delivered him to be crucified. And the innocent, sinless Son of God was now to experience one of the most violent and horrific deaths imaginable. He was to be nailed to a cross of wood. He had been abandoned. He had been betrayed by his closest friends. After being abused and mocked by the crowds, He had been wrongfully condemned by a governor. He had been beaten by the Roman guards. And I am sure that the sounds of Hosanna, Hosanna, were a distant memory by this point. And the Lord Jesus Christ went like a lamb to the slaughter to face the death of the cross. And the soldiers nailed him to the cross. They hung him on a tree. And they left him to die a horrific death. Yes, things had gone from good to bad to worse to absolutely terrible. And on that cross, Christ suffered a penalty. And it was a penalty he did not deserve. Isaiah, as he prophesied about what was going to happen, said it this way. He said, He was truly despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. 
And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Beloved, some of you at this point might say to me, Adam, I've heard all these stories before. I know about the palm branches and Peter and Pilate and even the penalty. But Adam, I just don't understand something. Why would God allow something so terrible to happen? Why would God allow his son to go from the praise of palms to the abandonment of Peter, to the sentencing by Pilate, and to suffer a penalty that he didn't deserve. Why would God do that? Beloved, if that's you today, let's look at what the Bible says about that question. The first question we ask, was that evil that happened to Jesus? Absolutely it was. He did not deserve that. And that was evil that Christ was crucified on that cross. But I'll tell you something about our God. You see, our God is so amazing. He's this wonderful counselor. He's so amazing that he is able to take the greatest evil that has ever been committed and to turn it around and to bring about the greatest good that you and I would ever, ever know. You see, that good that started out, Hosanna, God save us, they wanted salvation from the Romans. But God said, you don't understand. They, they wanted him to ride in on a horse and not a donkey. They wanted warfare. And they said, Hosanna, God save us now. But what they didn't know was that Jesus, he was going to save them now, but not simply from the Romans. He was going to save them and the whole world from sin. And that, beloved, is the good news of the gospel. You see, the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And the Bible says that we needed someone to represent us, to represent our humanity, that we might be full of that God might be fully satisfied with that atonement. But we needed someone who was perfect, someone who had never sinned. And, beloved, in all of that was Jesus. And the Bible says that Jesus came and he suffered, he was abandoned, he was despised, he was rejected, and he went to that cross and he did all of that for you and for me. If you're asking today, what does any of this have to do with me? That's the answer. Everything that we talked about, beloved, Jesus did for you. I want you to hear the latter part of Isaiah 53. We talked about that first part about Jesus being condemned. I want you to hear the latter part of Isaiah 53. It says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But listen, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Did you hear that? The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Church, did you hear that? Say amen. Amen. The Lord laid on Jesus Christ the iniquity the iniquity of us all. That everything Jesus did, beloved, was for you. Everything that he did was for me. Jesus completely humbled himself, even to the point of death. 
even the death on a cross. And he did that because our sin separated us from God. And he knew that we couldn't get to God without his perfect substitutionary atonement. And Christ comes to you today and says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Christ comes to you today and says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Beloved, don't miss the the good news of the gospel this Easter season. Don't just know about what Jesus did, but have it in your heart. If you're here today, I have a question for you. Have you trusted the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation? If you died today, do you know that you'd go to heaven? Because everything we just talked about, that good news, Jesus did that so you can be saved from your sins, that you can come to know him as your personal savior, and you can know the Son of God personally. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, you'd like someone to talk to, I'd love to talk to you about that. Because if you want to be saved, the Bible says you can be saved. Jesus made a way that everything he did, he did for you. And Christian here today, think back upon these texts. Think about how much God has done for you. How he suffered and was mistreated and was abandoned, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. But the good news for us is the story doesn't end there, does it? Wait till next week. <laughs> Amen? Hey, wait till next week because death is going to be defeated. And Jesus Christ is Lord. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, we come to you today giving you thanks and praise for your word. Jesus, we thank you for going from, from good to bad to bad to worse, to worse, to absolutely terrible. And, and you did that to fulfill Hosanna. You did that to save us now. And you saved us from the consequences of our sins. That's much better than being saved just from a group of Romans. Thank you, gentle, meek, humble Lord Jesus who rode in on that donkey to seek and to save all who was lost. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please stand with us if you're able as we sing a song that so appropriate for what uh, Adam preached today, uh, the man of sorrows, Lamb of God. Mm-hmm.